This past summer, I got to go to a couple of different camps. Of course, our heritage camp that we held at Camp Rock Creek, and then I was able to attend our, uh, our teenagers camp at Sooner Youth Camp down in Ardmore, Oklahoma. And I, I'm on staff there as, as one of the counselors for the guys, and we have on our staff, we have college-age uh, counselors on staff. And it was, a, it was a week of learning for me because our college-age counselors at camp this past summer taught me some phrases and words I was unaware of. This is when you know you are old because you do not know what anything means anymore. Okay, and this, this terms like that slaps. I still have no idea if I should have uttered that out loud to you this morning. I'm not sure what that means, but you know, I hope this message is slay. My dogs aren't out. They may be barking. I'm sure not. I'm, I honestly have no idea what I'm telling you right now. Uh, that's no cap. Did I use it right? Some of you are like, what is he talking about? See, I grew up with words like, uh, what's up, or that's fat, P-H-A-T, um, ite, the bomb, how about getting jiggy with it? Some of you have a tune in your head now. Uh, booyah, these are the things I grew up with. These are the words to which, uh, that, that I grew up with, and now there's new words out there, there's new ways of communicating. There's words that are always used, and this has happened throughout human history, words to help convey or communicate or to share certain ideas, and I want to share with you a particular word this morning. It's a very old word. It's a word that is, is found in the original text of your scriptures in the Greek language, which this particular Greek doesn't even exist anymore. It's known as a dead language, it's Koine Greek. But I want to share a word, and it's a word that we've been uh, studying uh, at, at a particular level in our Sunday morning adult Bible classes. And I want to look at that word as a way of introduction to get us into Matthew chapter 23 for just a moment. But that word is diakonos, the Greek word diakonos. Diakonos is a word that is used throughout your New Testament scriptures and a word that means waiter or servant. And in particular, it means anyone who performs any service. It is a word that is used by those outside of the church, but also those as the church is formed in the, in the earliest stages to begin to describe and to identify those who serve. Diakonos. You will find this word. 29 different times in your New Testament. This particular word or some gender uh, alternate, alternative to the word diakonos, you're going to find it 29 different times. It's translated in different ways because the word has such a deep meaning to it that the word can quite literally mean servant. It can mean minister. It can also mean waiter, like waiter of the table. And it's a word that grows within the early church to help describe those who are quite literally diakonos, waiters or servants or ministers of specific task within the church. And the 29 different times, which I have all 29 different times up here in your New Testament, you're not going to find 
uh, one translation of that particular word. Because all these 29 different versions of the word have different contexts. They mean different things, right? Depending on the group that you are talking about. But broadly and generally, what the word diakonos is conveying is that there is someone who is a waiter or a servant. They are one who is quite literally taking care of, working on, accomplishing something before them, anyone who performs a particular service. And 29 different times this word is used as a broad, general identifier of servant. Paul uses it on himself. A couple of these up here, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 5, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7. He uses it to describe those he's, that are associated with him in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Diakonos. These are the servants of the Lord. I'm a servant of the Lord. I'm a diakonos of the Lord. And these instances, these examples, help shape the idea of what it means for us to be servants. This word is a deep meaning word that the church ought to continue to grasp and to hold on to because we are called in to diakonos. Now, now let's, let's think about uh, the, the counter for just a moment to this, because what I'm afraid of and what I've seen in 18 years of ministry is that so often we think of servant or servanthood as those who have particular skills or abilities and or desires for specific tasks. We think diakonos is for hire. It is someone who's looking for a job. When, what we find out through not only the 29 examples and the other words used to describe servants or, or workers of particular tasks throughout Scripture, is that what we find out is that diakonos or servants within God's kingdom are not for hire. It is bestowed upon those who follow Jesus. Everyone is diakonos. No one is for hire. There are no pay-on bonuses for doing extra different tasks that maybe no one wants to do. Jesus teaches service by his actions and with his words and a society that wants you to think that once you have achieved, you do not have to work or serve or diakonos anymore. And far too often, we have allowed this worldly societal way of thinking about service to seep into his church. How dare us? There is no background needed to diakonos. There is no lifestyle needed to diakonos. There is no application, form, or resume that you must submit to diakonos. And most importantly, it is worth pointing out that diakonos, most of those 29 times, with the exception of two or three, I think two of those 29 different times is used in such a broad term that it's meant for every person of every walk of life, everyone is diakonos. And to think that certain particular tasks 
or missions or ministries or services are for particular people or must be qualified for those things is far against anything that Jesus has ever shown us or teaches or what the apostles write in their particular letters. Diakonos is for all people. It is the way of Jesus, if you will. Everyone, let's say it this way, everyone is a servant. Everyone. Now this is a particular point that I have made over the last three weeks in our Sunday morning adult Bible class. Now I've tried to make this in different ways through different texts over the last three weeks because I think it is a vitally important foundational element of understanding what servanthood looks like for God's people. Because Jesus does not call particular people. Now this is where we could spend the rest of our time this morning looking at the 12 disciples to which Jesus called because they were not qualified to be teachers of the word, to be followers of a rabbi. Jesus calls the unqualified most often because they are the most qualified to have faith in following their Savior. Because Jesus, I believe, wants to make a rather large point as he builds his church. All are diakonos. All are servants. All move. All are allowed. All should. All are called when you live into this particular kingdom. Now, I'm going to look at one particular example of this, Matthew chapter 23. Uh, Matthew chapter 23. Um, This is one of those 29 examples of diakonos in your New Testament. And uh, I I, I landed on Matthew chapter 23 this week, uh, mainly because I thought if I did all 29 for you this morning, I probably would lose you around number 18. So we're going to look at one for a little more depth this morning of understanding of what it means and how we begin to unravel and to see how Jesus not only teaches but gives the example that every single person, every disciple, all followers are servants of his. They are diakonos. Matthew chapter 23, let's start in verse 11. The great, these are the words of Jesus, the greatest among you will be your diakonos. Your NIV in particular probably says, the greatest among you will be your servant. It's that word. You could also say your waiter, your minister. The greatest among you will be your diakonos. Now this, as Jesus talks about, is a a way of, of reforming or reshaping how we begin to see the function of God's church. Now the context of Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, is is quite interesting, and that's where I I want to do for just a few moments. I want to look at verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 23, because the context of what Jesus says here, Matthew chapter 23, verse 11, the greatest among you will be your diakonos, I think is quite fascinating and actually helps usher in even more so what it means that all people are servants, or all are diakonos. Matthew chapter 23, let's back up to verse 1 in this particular section of Scripture in Matthew's Gospel. 
Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat. So you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do. For they do not practice what they preach. Ouch. Verse 4. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their felicities, the the, the boxes to which Scripture would have been held in, wide, and the tassels on their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and to be called rabbi by others. But you, but you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven, nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant. The greatest among you will be your diakonos. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humbled themselves will be exalted. Now, most likely, especially if you have your NIV, the title of this passage is warning against hypocrisy. This is a warning passage. Matthew has a few of these. This is not the first time to which Jesus discusses or talks or gives warning against teachers of the law and Pharisees, two different groups of people. The teachers of the law or the scribes, they would have been the experts of Torah, of God's word. They would have been the ones who would have known Forwards and backwards, God's first five books of our Old Testament, the Torah. And the Pharisees would have been the theological experts. These are the groups who would have been able to tell the Israelites exactly what God said and then exactly what God means to us, uh, what God's word means to us today. This is not the first time Jesus pushes up against the experts of the day. In fact, in many ways, for a good comparison, Jesus is pushing up against church leadership. He has a big problem with the scribes and the Pharisees. And the problem to which Jesus conveys to the leadership that is before them is that they say one thing and then live out and do another thing. They say what is right, but they live what is wrong. They tell people to live one way and to do certain things, but they do not do what they prescribe to the Israelites. They don't lift fingers to not only help or to work. And so what Jesus does is as he gives this warning as he gives this idea, as he pushes up against this particular model of what leadership looks like and how the church ought to function, how God's people ought to function, they live differently. Jesus provides a different model of life, and that is the model of the servant. 
You see, probably this next picture can help uh, describe this or give this idea a little bit better. Because this idea, uh, I think, really lives out in this culture and society today. We are taught and we tend to work so we don't have to work. Right? There's got to be a point where all the working gets me to a place where I can put my feet up and I don't have to work anymore, right? This is not the model to which Jesus prescribes indifference to the scribes and the Pharisees of the leadership of the day. He says, this functions differently. This is not how things are to work. My kingdom is different. The way of God's world and God's people are vastly different than working to not work. God's people are not to stop working. They are to always work. Retirement is not about putting your feet up. It's about getting your hands dirty and working even more for the name and the glory of Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus' prescription is so vastly different to the world that is before them and the world that is before us. Jesus is giving a model of dirty hands. This is the more accurate visual of Jesus' teaching and example that we have in the Gospels. The model is not to strive for not working. The model ought to be is that we strive to always work, to always serve, to always minister, to always wait on the table that may be, may be before us. This is a far different idea than what is often before us. Everyone is called to this. Not just some, but all. All people are diakonos. All are called to dirty hands. Jesus calls us to this. He says his kingdom is different. You have one teacher. You have one instructor. You have one God, one Messiah. And the greatest within all of us is not the one who can get their feet up on the table. It's the one who continues to serve and to share and to wait on the table that is before them. The one who's willing to get their hand dirty. Oh, we see this, don't we, in Jesus' life? Jesus doesn't run from people. Jesus embraces the sick. Jesus embraces the forgotten. Jesus embraces those who are outside of his Israel tribe. Jesus is willing to get his hands dirty in the messiness of people every time. And the greatest example of that, you can turn over to John chapter 13. In John chapter 13, we see the epitome of diakonos. We see what it looks like to be waiter or servant or minister because Jesus, our Messiah, our Savior, our Lord, our God, is willing to live out servanthood. In John chapter 13, verse 1, is the beginning of this Last night of Jesus' life on this earth, the night he would be betrayed and handed over to the Romans, the Passover 
feast and festival have occurred, and Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Now that's as far as I'm making it this morning. Now if you were in Bible class three weeks ago, we looked at this particular passage 1 through 17 in its entirety, but this morning, far as I need to go, I believe is verse 1. Now, you want preacher homework? Go read verses 1 through 17 of John chapter 13 today. It's well worth your time. But in John chapter 13, verse 1, we get the clearest picture of Jesus' motives and the idea that diakonos is for all people. He's motivated by love. Having loved his own, he loved them to the end. And that love that motivates Jesus at this Passover feast moves him to get up from the feast, to put a towel around his waist, and to begin to go around the table and become not simply the waiter of the feast, but the servant of the souls. With a towel around his waist, he washes those disciples' feet because he loves them. Because love is his motivation. Love is what brings him not only to the point of service or diakonos, but it's godly love that puts him into the place where he desires he desires to live out diakonos and what many would probably describe as a pretty awkward time to do so. Now, if Jesus is your rabbi, let alone your savior or your Messiah, for someone who's up on the chain of command to go so far down into servanthood or slavery to wash other people's feet is not only an example of what diakonos looks like, it's an example of what it looks like to live out the greatest commandment. Jesus lives what he preaches. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, Jesus says earlier in Matthew chapter 22. And if you have ever wondered how anyone or how I, how can we all live out diakonos, we do that out of our desire to love God. Out of living out the greatest commandment. Notice the timing of Jesus' washing of the feet. He does it at the end. He has relationship but he has purpose. And he has a depth of love that I think can't be held back any longer. He wants those that he loves most, even the one who would betray him within just a few hours, he wants them to know that if you are going to be his, then you must be diakonos.
Our desire, my desire for this place, for this church, for this community, our desire is to position every single one of us to get their hands dirty. Because that's the example of Jesus. Our motivation is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and our purpose then becomes how can every single one of us get our hands dirty? Where's the towel? Where's the basin? Where's the water? What can I do? There is not a select few that are called into this church to serve. Every single one of us are called to serve. And here's what's going to happen over the next several months. As we start to visibly see our church home come up, there's going to be more and more conversation and more and more focus because I promise you, that's where I'm going to take us. We are going to have more and more focus on what it looks like for every single pair of hands to get dirty at this place. Because we are not building a place of comfort, a place of relaxation. We are building a place to get dirty. That place will not be, that place will not be clean. It will be dirty. Because God has called us to get our hands dirty. There are feet that need washing, and there are hands that ought to be willing to get dirty and to wash them. Because Jesus was willing to wash our feet, we ought to be willing to wash the feet of those who may not even know the name or the love of Jesus Christ. Because diakonos is at the foundation of his church. And if we love him as we claim to do, then we better get ready for more and more dirt. Get ready to put the towel on. <clears throat> um, I have, uh, I have, uh, I have been in ministry 18 years, my entire uh, adult life. And one of the best from a mentor of mine, those 18 plus years ago, best advice, if you will, was be a minister first and a preacher second. And so I've tried to live out my ministry life by being minister first, diakonos first, preacher second. Now, I don't know if some of you need to cover your ears or not, but the preaching part of this is secondary to me. It's important, and I give time to it, but what's most important is diakonos. And I've tried to live out, whether I've been a youth minister, a young adult minister, or a preaching minister, is I've tried to live out diakonos first. Why? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus preached. He visited sick people. He was in the homes of others. But you know what was first and foremost in everything Jesus did? Go through your four Gospels and find me a moment. Diakonos is not first and foremost in Jesus' actions. It's what he did. It's what he lived. And it's what he taught. 
fact, the sweetest text message I got this week um, was from uh, Colby Owsley. Colby and Mariah just had their second child, uh, Colin Tate, earlier this week. In fact, I'll take full responsibility for Mariah going into labor because last Sunday I saw her and I was like, where is that kid? And the next day she goes into labor. Uh, I, got a, I got a text from Colby uh, midweek and uh, Colby says, uh, he says, Mariah and I are wondering, where are you? Why aren't you over here yet? And I thought that was the greatest compliment I could ever have gotten. I, my response was, well, I do not want to be murdered by your wife. I'm sick right now. He said, well, as soon as you're healthy, you need to come hold this baby. And I thought, ah, oh, that's what I want to do. Because partly, part of my scheme here at Heritage is I want every baby and child to love me. <laughs> you got to start early. But the fact that someone, a friend like that, doesn't, he didn't, you know what Colby didn't say? He did not text me and go, hey, would you come preach to our new son? He said, hey, he didn't text me and go, hey, I have a question about your sermon last week. No. His message was, we want you around. That's what community is about. That's how it functions. And it only happens in diakono. So, we're going to talk a little bit more about this next week and, uh, in the message time as well. But here's, where, here's our invitation. I'm going to make myself available up front this morning. We're going to sing one more song in this place. Uh, John Fennell, one of our shepherds who, uh, who had our welcome in shepherd's prayer this morning, is going to make himself available in the back of the cafeteria this morning during the singing of the song. We're going to make ourselves available. If there's anything that this church can do for you, please come find us. It's not the only time we're available Myself and all of our shepherds are here this morning. We're around all morning. If there's anything that Heritage can do for you, please come and find us. But I want to leave you with the invitation, the call, to get out of your own way. You are capable because God made you. And all of us, every single one of us, are diakonos. Let's stand together. And let's sing.